1: On DAB, online, on the app and on your smart speaker. Following on, Ash's inquest on TalkSport. What a performance.
2: The Oval. I'm John Norman, and alongside Steve Harmison, we will be talking about another high tempo day of test cricket. It uh, started with a surprise, did uh, day one of the fifth Ashes test? As at the fifth time of asking, it was a tail, meaning Australia did as they did at the Oval four years ago and bold, and England got off to a quick fire start, helped along the way by two drops behind the wicket puts it down this time when the wickets came though they did in a clatter England 62 without loss and in a blink of an eye 73 for 3 root chopping on and both openers gone but poor fielding once again caused them problems after Carey had put down Brook on 5 and uh, boy did that hurt them pulled away a bit shorter this time from Marsh and that is a glorious stroke
3: from Harry Brook
2: The afternoon session went Australia's way, though brooked the fourth of four to four, and despite a breezy eighth-wicket partnership between Wood and Wokes, England were bowled out 283, leaving two hours to bowl out Australia, and, well, very little happened. Warner and Kawaja saw off Broad and Anderson, then they saw off Wood and Wokes, before the latter came back and got the edge of Warner's bat. How often Warner has made a start, how often he's got to 20, And how he's failed to go on. And this was another instance. It was an excellent catch from Crawley. Australia went on, though. They dropped anchor. England tried to change the ball. And after all the excitement of the day, well, kind of petered out. It was Australia's day, though. And uh, they're going to feel that if they can have another one like this one tomorrow, then they're going to go on and win the Ashes. So did England basball themselves again today? You're listening to following on Ashes Inquest on Talk Sports. A yeah, big thanks to Sky Sports Cricket for those highlight clips. Alongside me, as I said, for the next hours, former fast bowler, Ashes winner, Steve Harmison, who was at the Oval today, alongside some of the great and the good of uh, of world cricket. Harmy, you're back in the studio now, though. You know, sometimes we've seen England bas-ball an opponent and sometimes we've seen England bas-ball themselves. Did they do exactly that today, or was it just uh, good bowling from Australia in in helpful conditions?
3: Yeah, I think a bit of both, to be honest, John. I I don't know. I sit here thinking, I don't know where this game's at. Whether you know the, the, the score, England have got over two eighty. Is it the is it a good score? Um, you'd suggest it. It's not when you look at sixty one for for one. But you look at England. England sixty two for none. And uh, you know, in a joke, I sat there and watched the first hour. After seeing, I thought, what was a fantastic toss to win. And I'm going, wow, this might not be a good toss to win. You know, Australia pitched it up. They tried to get it to swing. And the way Crawley and Duckett were going, it was, Ooh, I wonder if this is, this is a good toss. Um, and I, I got up, I went to the toilet, come back, England a three down. And I wasn't at the toilet very long. And I, and it completely changed. And I think it completely changed because of Pat comments. I think he's took some stick in this series. And I think he was the difference in this... In, this, in this, you know, this first day of the, of the Oval Test match, his bowling, I still can't understand why he's not opening a bowling, but that's for another story. He hit the deck hard. He wasn't pitching and trying to pitch it up and swinging it. Um, and he made a completely different outlook of the surface. And then all of a sudden, once Australia had seen that was the way to go on this surface, um, they really give England a hard time.
2: It, they did wise up quickly, didn't they? They were all over the place for the first hour. I also don't know why he doesn't take the new ball. I also don't know how he only took one wicket. Yeah. Um, I, every single delivery, I, it seemed to me, he was testing the batter. Um, and then he went for 32 in two hours. Um, it was uh, it was quite bizarre, really bizarre cricket. At, at lunch again, 131 for three, and nobody knew what the hell they'd seen. Um but then at T, 250 for 7, we kind of were a bit like, mm, um, with, you know, any innings which sees Joe Root out for 5, Ben Stokes for 3 and Johnny Bairstow for 4. You'd have to say England had actually did pretty well to get up to 283. The reason they did so was because of Harry Brook. I mean, is
3: the Oval a bad catching ground? Because Australia certainly made it look that way. I don't think it's a bad catching ground. I think, I think because of how quickly Australia bowl, the bowlers that bowl, they're different to England bowlers now. You know, they're ten mile an hour. Mark word. besides. and when you hit the deck, you know, the boat, the fielders looked very close. You look at the. there was right behind the Mitch, Mitch Marsh one. I was right behind the David Warner one. That hit them. You know, they you know, they, they didn't. They, it, they were they were startled. Bang! That's it. Boosh! That there was a the the way that the the reaction time was very very small when it comes to you know thick off the air, fast off the edge, and bang. So. Sometimes you have to stand close if you don't feel as though there's enough pace in the wicket to carry. But when when Australia dropped their lengths back, there was a little bit more of a zip off the surface, and I think then the fielders went a little bit further back, and it would have made it a lot easier to catch. But sometimes a horse is bolted, and you have to react off where the, where the ball comes through to the wicket keeper and through to the to the slip fielders. So I don't think it's a bad catching ground. They're just had like England have had some point in this series where they've just dropped catches. Warners was a fairly straightforward one for a slip catch. Marsh was a fairly straightforward one for a gully catch and you'd expect them in, in international cricket to catch it. So I just thought the way Australia bowled the sort of second hour of that first session and then in that middle session, which was a lot better and a lot harder into length rather than trying to pitch up and swing it, I think that, Possibly put the fielders off because when you go out there, you start the game. The witty keeper stands in a certain place, and then as a slip corner you you react accordingly of where the wicketkeeper is. And I think for the first hour, they tried to pitch it up. It wasn't sort of coming through nicely, and then they didn't sort of react with when Pat Cummins came on and Josh Hazelwood pulled their lens back. There was a little bit more zip off the surface from that sort of six and a half, seven metre mark. And I think they possibly got caught out in that way, and that's why they dropped the catches.
2: Um, Ian from Liverpool's got in contact, he says, uh, and you can do so as well here on for 81089 on the text. Call us three seven one seven double two double three double four, or via social media at cricket underscore TS. And Ian, he got in contact yesterday as well, so fair play to him. He says, Will you now concede that playing Anderson has been a mistake, has not worked at, at all. Four wickets and three and a bit tests. Um, the test, he never played in, we won. Yeah,
3: uh- all valid arguments and I can't you can't disagree with the numbers in I really can't sit here I'd pick Anderson I would you've got to forget his age Jimmy Anderson was number one ranked bowler in the world what 4 or 5 months ago so you know, we can't have it always it's he he the, the thing with Jimmy is like batters they go out of form they go out of rhythm they go out of nick and Jimmy looks as always fighting against himself and I think the the, the, the biggest thing that's against Jim is because everybody looks at the age factor Forget the age factor. He's still... He bowled more overs than anybody else at Old Trafford. You know, he he still contains and he holds his um, uh, run rate. He does put pressure and he builds pressure for the other bowlers. But normally what he does is he normally picks a a bang-bang. So Jimmy... What's Jimmy bowled tonight? He's bowled bowled seven overs for 21. Jimmy's done this many, many times. He'll come out tomorrow morning. In the first three overs, he'll get two two for five or three overs... So all of a sudden you go in you know two for 26 off 10, and you go, oh, "That's not a bad return." So he's been here before, he understands it, and he knows that he needs to get wickets. The problem is, with the question marks of 40, 41 at the weekend, um, them questions get asked a little bit louder and a little bit louder. My question to Ian would be, who would you pick? Because Robinson looks Robinson's not fit enough. you know, forget the Josh tongue. You know, I I would pick Josh Tongue definitely, and that's probably the obvious answer. But at this minute in time, there's nobody standing out in anywhere around to go over and say, "I'm going to take over." You just answered it, yeah. But that's what I imagine Ian. Ian will say, say. But then, as a as a as a selection unit, you're going into a you're going into a game, and you're going. I've got Mark Wood, who is a maverick, who potentially could go at six and over, seven and over. We've got Mo and Ali who, we, we struggle from a spin ball and point for you. And if Josh Tung comes in and sprays it, all of a sudden we're putting so much pressure on Wokes and, and, um, and Broad. What thing about Jimmy Anderson is, even if he's not getting wickets, he will hold one end up and he will dry the game up and put pressure on by doing what he's doing. He did it at Old Trafford and he's doing it here. Um, the thing that Jimmy's not getting is wickets. So I'll, I'll stand by. I would, I would have picked Jimmy Anderson for Old Trafford. And I would have picked Jimmy Anderson for this game. I think a lot of people would. The problem is, you know, everybody can just look at his age and beat him with that stick. And that's something he can't get away from.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure it's just his age. I mean, he hasn't taken any wickets, but I do get your point. Mm -hmm. We were both out in Barbados, weren't we, when Sam Curran was picked ahead of Stuart Broad. And I don't think you should underestimate, or certainly one of the things that they would have factored in is the pressure that would be on a bowler if he is essentially replacing Jimmy Anderson. You know, not, in, not 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 with Anderson being rested, rotated, dropped. Mm. And I just thought that Sam Curran kind of buckled a little bit under the pressure of being asked to do exactly that in place of Stuart Broad. And I think that's probably one of the things that was factored into the decision here.
3: Yeah. And you've also got to look at the fact that why I think England have got to make a tough decision on Broad and Anderson. And potentially make that decision Not if they're not going to make it themselves you make it for them because the one thing we've done is we've tried to move away from Broad and Anderson for so many times Broadly said himself he's been the most dropped bowler going if you can't bring them back then you have to find a solution what England have had is young bowlers not being fit and it's easy to bring Broad and Anderson back if they're not there anymore, you have to work you work to a plan to find a solution to replace the two grits. And until they're not there anymore, England will always go around in a circle and come back to Braun Anderson because even when Jimmy's forty five, he'll still be contributing as a bowler like he like he has done here, economical, bowling one side of the wicket and and, and putting pressure on the opposition. If you move on from them, then you can't come back. Then you have to find a solution, which I think it's probably about right time now.
2: Okay, well, look, we've still got plenty to talk about. We're going to hear from uh, some uh, some really big names, actually. Azim Rafiq, who was in with the Drive Time crew earlier today, uh, Scott Taylor, our producer here, uh, caught uh, up with him, spoke to him about uh, the spin options and where English should go for the India tour, and also a little bit about Todd Murphy, who's picked up two wickets today. Uh, Jarrah Kimber, Australian uh, broadcaster and uh, cricket writer, of course, very familiar name on the station. He's going to be joining me very shortly. Uh, Sam Ellard uh, caught up with Alex Tudor, so we're going to uh, hear from him as well. So uh, plenty to talk about, plenty to look back on, and uh, thanks for joining us here on TalkSport. This is
1: Following On, Ash's Inquest. A pitch-perfect delivery of superior cricket conversation. This is Following On. Ashes inquest on Talksport.
2: You're listening to following on Ashes inquest here on Talksport. Myself, John Norman, alongside Steve and Jared Kimber's with us as well. Jared, how would you uh, assess today's play?
4: I think England went to a very middling total in the most bizarre way possible.
2: That's saying something because we've seen <laughs> some bizarre, bizarre ways that have been possible throughout yeah, but, but I agree at lunch it was another one of those what the hell has just happened
4: well, I was talking to Rory Dollard at lunch and I said would you be surprised if England were bowled out for 180 or if they made 450 and declared this afternoon like hadn't we had no real idea of where they were going to take it and somehow they ended up in the middle they basically had three partnerships right that, that, that's all they had to get to that score which does tell you that when they do get in they score so quickly that they could still make a damage but uh I, I don't know how Harmy feels, but I was sitting there going, if they batted normally, by the time that Wood and Wokes um, came in, they could probably just could have scored runs. Um, but on the other hand, you know, they had five drops and they certainly made Australia panic. So I don't even know how to explain what happened because it's not normal Test cricket.
3: Yeah, I was of the same opinion, Jared. I didn't you know, scratching my head working out whether who had the best deer, who, who did have a, you know, an exceptional deer. The one person that did, in my opinion, and he only got one wicket, was Pat Cummins. He mm. took some stick over in Australia. A lot of people call him for his head, but I thought he got the length on this surface and I thought his bowling changes were spot on.
4: Yeah, I thought he bowled brilliantly. I mean, he looked exhausted, right, for the last test. So I was wondering what we would see from him. But he he got the word this week he was going to miss some of the ODIs. So perhaps because of that, he was uh, regenerated, knowing that he was going to get some days off. Um, But, yeah, no, I think you're right. He bowled absolutely beautiful. Also, they brought the field up at times. They brought the deep point up. It wasn't the uber defensiveness that we've seen from Pat Cummins, which shows a little bit more flexibility in his captaincy than we've seen at times. Um, But, yeah, I thought Australia... Other than maybe the wooden work situation where they did get a little bit um, away from themselves and the five drop catches, I thought most of the time Australia did very well in that innings.
2: And the way they went about the innings, I mean, some would say that you're inviting pressure on yourself because Australia batted out 25 overs. You could see where they were going, what they wanted to do. It was, it's how they've been playing for most of the series. But that's the kind of way that England have found themselves in the past getting themselves unstuck because Australia, as things stand, yep one down at stumps is what you want, but they batted so slowly again. You know, a couple of wickets in the morning and, you know, they haven't really taken advantage possibly mm. of uh, of the situation that they actually forced upon England and got themselves into.
4: No, I, kn- I know what you mean, but the ball wasn't doing a lot and it's now quite old. You're not going to expect it to do that much more tomorrow. Um, they've got probably their two best batters in the series um, at the crease with Head to come, Smith to come, Mitch Marsh to come. It's not they're not in a bad position at all. I just don't think we're going to see them. I mean, Warner's is the only guy in that top three who's going to bat really, really aggressively. Um, and they went for a night watch as well. Not a Nighthawk, um, an actual night watch. Although, surely, Mitchell Stark would be great to night hawk it if he ever needs to. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, no, I've got no problem with the way they batted. I think they were very sensible. I think looking back, you know, as I said, England could have tried something. A different England side <laughs> could have tried something similar, not this England side.
3: And Jared, what about Todd Murphy? He, we've seen him bowling at lunchtime, getting himself ready to to come into the equation when Mo and Ali was there. Um, long-term future, ticking the box. Has he got? Is he got what it takes to probably possibly play with Nathan Lyon if you do play two spinners in a subcontinent, but potentially take over from him? It?
4: Yeah, it's a bit awkward to fit with Nathan Lyon because he's a very similar bowler in yeah. some ways. Um, maybe doesn't put as many. Uh, quite as many revs on the ball, but uh, but you know he's another tall off-spinner. I don't know if you saw him on the TV standing next to Ricky Ponting, but you know, he gets he gets a lot of bounce and like a lot of Australian finger spinners tend to do because that's how you get the wickets over there. But I, look, I think he's a, he's obviously a quality player. I think he's a better bowler at this same age than Nathan Lyon was, and he's a perfect replacement for Nathan Lyon. But because they're both tall spinners, they maybe don't fit perfectly overseas. Having said that, they bowled some really good spells in India together. Um, but, you know, there's only so many left-handers in the world that you can dominate. They'll both be fighting for the same guys.
2: It won't be a surprise to hear that the big topic... Uh, but so, certainly via social media and, and on Texas, Jimmy Anderson. There was, of course, a clamour for Josh Tong to uh, come in for him. We've had another message. The Australian batsmen are playing Jimmy differently to the other English bowlers. They are not attacking him, hence no wickets. He, I mean, he was going at about one and over in, in second innings mm-hmm. at Old Trafford, but would you say that the Australian batters are playing Jimmy any differently because he's Jimmy, um, or would you just say that uh, the selection continues to be uh, one that you can understand. There's a lot of conjecture about.
4: I mean, I wouldn't have picked him. I would have gone my tongue for this one. I think he is. I, I probably would have picked him from the last one as well. I, I think he bothers Usman Khawaja. Um He's a different kind of bowler. He's a little bit faster. They wanted to bowl a lot of bounces. He can bowl more bounces. I thought it was really interesting today, Uh, Ricky Ponting was saying on the coverage that uh, he was missing his zip because the ball wasn't carrying through to the keeper. And then Mark Woodbowl from that end got an edge and it didn't carry through to the keeper. So we start to look for signs, right, that everything's not working. I thought the last two innings I've seen Jimmy bowl in, he's looked a lot better, but he's still not looking like the Jimmy of, what, five or six months ago, right?
3: Yeah, I, I think you've you've got it spot on. I think Jimmy was. He was number one ranked bowler in the world. He was, he was up there and he's number four and number five now. Um, and yeah, you see batters. I've said that before, Jared, to, to John. Batters are out of rhythm. They're out of nick. Um, Jimmy just seems as though... And he's probably been here many, many times before in his career, but the edge is at, there will always be questions. But from an Australia point of view, Jared, what do they do in this sort of first session tomorrow? Do they come out and try and put full throttle or do you do you see them you know quietly going about their business and trying to ink, you know just grind England into the dirt and you know can they do what England did in that game at Old Trafford which would be you know bowling there bowl Australia out bat big and potentially only bat once is that what England, Australia have got to be saying to themselves
4: yeah, I mean, you've seen enough of Usman Kouadja. Qu- do you think he's going to come out attacking no. Army? <laughs> so he's definitely not going to do that, is he? Uh, Manus will be more proactive and has, has scored at a decent rate at times in, in this series, but he's not an attacking batter. But they'll be setting it up for Head and Marsh. They're the two guys that if they if they can get to you know, 150 or 200 at, at two or three wickets down when, when those guys start to come in, they can score at a very uh, quick rate, I think. Uh, Head made his hundred of hundred and six balls here against indias and we've obviously seen Marsh be able to score very, very quickly. Although I thought England bowled a lot better to him in the last Test match, so I do think from that perspective, that's when the attack will come.
2: What about Harry Brook then? He was given a life by Carey, but his ten months—he's had ten months in Test cricket. That was his third half century in a row against Australia. He picked one up earlier in the series, and he just—he uh, just seems to have it, doesn't he? He's got an average near on seventy. Can you think of a player that he reminds you of?
4: I mean, today he played a hook over his shoulder for no reason because he wanted the extra two runs rather than taking the boundary off the normal pull shot. So, no. Uh, I mean, he's, I suppose there's little bits of KP in his batting at times, but he's probably stronger through the offside. Army can probably answer that better than I can. But, you know, he's tall and he has the ability to sort of get on top of the ball um, and, and cause some issues. And he's not like Zach Crawley. He's not slow moving. You know, when, when Brooke goes somewhere, every there's fast muscle twitch fibers in him so he does look like um, something very uh, different but you know he's had some ups and downs already in his test cricket uh, career so I I find him really really fascinating I I think when he struggled earlier in this series people were already starting to call him a bit of a bust and you know he struggled at times in the IPL as well he's still learning his game and I'm not sure he's quite on top of what he needs to do and sometimes he probably plays the wrong shot just because he's been given such a license he doesn't actually know what his test match pace is at the moment.
3: Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment when you come, when you talk about, he, he's different than KP because KP plays a huge amount through the leg side. But when Harry Brook is defending the ball, he defends it down. When Zach Crawley's looking to hit it, he's playing it from well outside himself. And when you look at the way KP played through the offside as well, he, he tends to hit it into the ground so you would drive it forward. So his body and his shape was over the top of the ball. Um, where do you think Australia would target somebody like Harry Brook in the future? Because now they've seen him. Mm. Where do they go? Because when England come to Australia in two years' time, I would imagine Harry Book would be the biggest one that the Australian bowling unit, bowling group, will not have nightmares about, but he'd be the, the the sort of top of the name of the list where the if we get him, we've got a good chance of winning the Ashes back or retaining the Ashes.
4: Yeah, I mean, if he was coming out now, and who knows what it would be like in two years' time, but if he was coming out now, you would bowl, I would say, six or seven stump line to him. Don't you think? Yeah, uh, I mean, he, yeah. he, he just seems to follow it. Uh, you know, it, something in his hands just so, sort of follows the ball. And the more wide Australia bowled to him, the more that I think he's looked, n- not lucky, but, you know, r- ropier. He hasn't looked as um, on top of it. And, you know, it's probably, you know, facing the. Y- when, you, when you're facing bowlers around 85, 90, 95 miles an hour and they're bowling wider, you know, you're further from the ball. So in county cricket, those guys, he can still get to the ball. I think that a little bit of extra pace might cause some problems. But who knows if he'll still have that problem the next time he gets here. But that, you know, if I was working for a cricket team right now, Army, that's I would be saying try that seven, seven stump line and maybe some left-handers angling it across because they've been trying to swing it back to him, which makes sense. But I wonder if actually doing the opposite and angling across might be their best bet.
2: Brilliant stuff. Uh, Jared, thank you. Um, you'll be back at some point. I'll be joining you for a, a, a beverage in about half an hour on the roof terrace after a late uh, like late call-up. Thank you very much. Uh, Harmi, don't go anywhere. Um, you've been here all day, and you'll be back here tomorrow as well. But uh, we've still got plenty to talk about. We're going to hear from uh, Alex Tudor, who uh, was alongside you today, and also Azim Rafiq as well, who's going to be looking ahead to uh, that India series um, do you realise England aren't going to play a test match here in England for another 11 months after this one? So we need to make sure we save it every moment, even, uh, even if it uh, means Australia go on and win. We'll see. Either way, it's been Australia's day, um, but still plenty to talk about here on following on Ash's Inquest.
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile oh. can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact On DAB, online, on the app, and on your smart speaker. Following on, Ashes Inquest on Talk Sports. What a
2: performance! England Bowler Mowing Alley, uh, one of the moments of the day, really. We saw Nathan Lyon hobble off at, at Lord's. It wasn't quite as dramatic as that, but uh, he has sustained a right groin injury on the first day of this fifth Test match. And he will be continue, he will continue to be assessed throughout the week. Didn't uh, field in the evening session here at the Oval. Uh, let's hear from the former Yorkshire spinner, Azim Rafiq, uh, who was on with uh, Leanne Sanderson and Darren Bent this afternoon on Drive and uh, spoke to our producer, Scott Taylor, and uh, began by saying that all-rounder, Moeen Ali, that is, will be more than useful uh, if selected. If he comes out of retirement for the what would be the third time? Uh, for England's tour of India at the start of next year,
0: I would have loved him to have gone to India because actually, after the gap and the first three Test match, it looked like he was starting to, you know, get his old self back. But you know, he's made a decision, he, um, and England needs to find spinners.
5: Looking ahead to India, then England next have five Tests in India. Moens obviously probably won't be part of that squad now. He's retiring after this Test. How big an absence will that be? Especially because. Leach might not be himself. You never know what a bowler's like coming back from a stress fracture. So England's options are going to be quite limited.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be challenging. And I would have expected India to produce uh, turning pitches. Young Jack Carson from Sussex is mm. someone that looks really good. But, you know, away from that, what are the options? Um, and if Jack Leach is not fully, you know, fully fit, uh, what do we do? And that that's why, you know, when when the SOS went to Moe and look... You know, he's he's ended up contributing a little bit and stuff. I, You know, I, I, it wasn't something I would have done mm. uh, because, you know, it it's taken three test matches uh, for him and Johnny to get ready for the fourth and we've lost the ashes. So, uh, and also the message that it sends to everyone in county cricket is, you know, is uh, questionable throughout. So, again, um, you know, apart from Jack Carson, I don't, I don't know if there is any other names that mm. uh, spring up that I don't really know where England are going to go sounds like Tom Hartley might be part yeah. of the squad whether an Indian tour is something that he's ready for not sure
5: yeah Tom Hartley's especially one that bats a bit as well and there's no like genuine option apart from Leach which is quite concerning let's talk about Todd Murphy what have you made of Todd Murphy in the last couple of, well last series so far
0: since Lyon's injury I guess well I mean uh, Pat Cummins has not trusted him has he um, you know he uh, didn't ball him at Headingley at all and then left him out at Old Trafford um, and it showed the Australian bowling attack just going away from Todd Murphy. They spent their whole career bowling with Nathan Lyon and you could see that they were all confused. I mean, I was up at Old Trafford. I don't think I've ever seen an Australian team look so terrible yeah. in the field. Uh, and I think a lot of it is because they don't know how to bowl without Lyon. So, you know, Pat Cummings doesn't trust him. He he looks a good bowler. He had a good start in in India but whenever you're coming after such a world-class spinner, mm. everyone wants you to replicate that. And uh, Australia took so long after Shane won to find another one. And now I don't know how uh, that's going to be something that's going to weigh heavily on Todd Murphy and obviously not, not being aware of the character. He's not the, he's not the same type of bowler uh, as Nathan Lyon. He's a little bit, you know, a little bit shorter, a little bit more sort of, there's not as much top spin as uh, Nathan Lyon. So, my gut instinct says that uh, he might struggle in Australia uh, in test cricket. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he goes this test match if if the clouds go away and there's, a, <laughs> there's uh, some batters back for a while.
2: Oh, I mean, your thoughts on Ali? I mean, I mean, it's not that you bowl much spin in your time, but uh, I'd imagine even with a you know, six or seven pace run-up, that's not really going to be possible
3: if you've got a, a groin injury. No, I'd be very surprised if Moen the way he, the way he was moving. I'd be surprised if he if he takes part any further in this game, other than to potentially bat at number nine or number ten and, and try and slog a few. Because we've got to remember, there's no um, no runners in in the batting, so he can't bat number three. So that's a blow. Who bats at number three? Does Joe go up one? With what happened to Harry Brook and the way he's playing? There's an argument to say the way Chris Wokes is playing. Do the do the to the promote chris wokes to number 3 and keep everybody where they are and just replace wokes and alley in in that order um but from a bowling point of view i can't see him taking part i really can't it's that that pivot that turn that you know the, the, he has to get over the top of his front leg and get sort of get round uh, uh, the body i i just don't see him being able to do that and which is a shame because you know, the six overs that we've seen from Todd Murphy, it's spinning. It turned. So it's it's a huge blow for England if they can't have Mo and Ali.
2: And what about for the India series? I know it's some time away, but I mean, it just seems to me that having Ali at three actually makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, Pope will be back for sure, but England are going to need to get spinners into that side. They've got problems over what they're going to do with Ben Folks, of course. I know that you've said that he'll come straight back in. Maybe everyone will just bump up one. Um, but Essentially, I mean, England are going to have to pick two of them. So one of them may as well be Ali. Yeah.
3: Can they convince Mo and Ali to go to India? Um, well,
2: he kind of flat. He kind of uh, there was an interview in the Daily Mail with um, Adam Patel and Mo was saying pretty much no chance. I think yeah. he signed up for an SA. I know he signed up for an SA Twenty side, yeah. which is slap banging at the same time. Although, you know. Oh, I don't know. You just you can't rule anything out these it dep-
3: days. It depends on on Ben Stokes whether he can convince him like he did for the Ashes. Whether England want to convince him at this minute in time, the, the cupboard is very very threadbare. And you've also got a, you you've got a bowler in Jack Leach who's coming back from a stress fracture. Um, he, he suffers from Crohn's, which is a, a disease which obviously hampers the immune system. We go to when you go to the subcontinent, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh that you're always susceptible to to sort of illness. And Jack, uh, it's happened to Jack before. So you've got to factor that in. I look at England's next cabs. Tom Hartley, is he ready? Jack Carson, like you said, you know, Patson White. These bowlers who have been bowling in county cricket, they haven't gotten a chance because the selectors deem that they're not good enough or they're not ready from an age point of view, in sort of Carson's in 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 Jack's in his case. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a, whatever happens is gonna be a huge gamble. Gamble on trying to convince Mo and Ali. Gamble on Jack Leach because of the the injury and and everything else that goes with Jack Leach going to the subcontinent. Or gambling on two youngsters, maybe as it is sink or swim time. We are in a position we are just throw two youngsters in, and, and hopefully they, they can come up with the goods. Because is it worth doing that? You know, you, do you go with Mo and Ali and Jack Leach, who are experienced cricketers, or do you go and say, "Well, are we going to get the same out of maybe Hartley and and, and and young Carson?" If that is where we're going to where we're going to be, at least in two years' time, four years' time, when we go back again, the young lads will be more experienced when they go there rather than going through that process in two or three years' time. So it's a tricky one for the selectors. Um, I would love that Mo and Ali to go, but it just doesn't look as though he's going to play a ball. Do
2: you think that England change their tactics tomorrow then? If Ali can't play, we saw how difficult it was to get Anderson away. You know, Stokes has really, I think in some ways, he's gone too far with the four-over spells. I've, I've been watching on a couple of occasions and Broad has been taking out the attack too early and I've, I feel that you know Anderson needs a couple of overs to get going as well. Stokes turn around and say, look, we're going to change things up. Jimmy, you're going to bowl a good eight or nine over spell at one end. Just keep things tight. I don't want you to take wickets. Well, obviously, I want you to take wickets, but it's not about that. It's about restricting the runs and almost using him in the same way that you, you use would a use a, spin- a spinner. Yeah,
3: I agree with that. But I think what you were doing tonight is completely what you're opposite to what not opposite, but different to what you'll do tomorrow because tonight we were trying to get wickets. Yeah. So we're trying everything we possibly could. And if four overs, you're not getting a wicket, bang, off. Get somebody else on. See if we can try and change something to get a wicket, to go bang, bang, and then all of a sudden 60 for three. we, we We've had a you know a decent go at Australia. So I think that's why the four over spells were, were, were utilised tonight. Tomorrow I can see Jimmy Bowling longer spells because he isn't going anywhere, even though he's not looking that threatening from a wicket-taking point of view he's not going anywhere so you can bowl one side of the wicket and dry it up um, an attack from Mark Wood an attack a little bit from from uh, from Stuart Broad the problem I've got is when they go to the bouncer route who then does that because Wokes doesn't look as though he's that, he's that comfortable doing it Jimmy well, he shouldn't be doing it Stuart he does it, but I think he does it a little bit under protest. And then you can't keep flogging Mark Wood by bowling bounces. If, let's say, Travis Head gets going, Steve Smith gets going, and we go to plan B, Moen will be a huge miss tomorrow afternoon if two Australian batters get in between sort of lunch and tea.
2: You're listening to Following On Ashes Inquest with myself, John Norman, and
1: Steve Harmison. Hitting you for six with top order cricket conversation. Following On Ashes Inquest on Talk Sport.
2: You're listening to Following On Ashes Inquest with myself, John Norman, Steve Harmison alongside me. We've already been uh, joined. Uh, by Jarrah Kimber. We've heard from Azeem Rafiq, the former Yorkshire spinner. Um, Alex Tudor was alongside Uhamie here today. Uh, Goffey as well, I believe in, uh, in good voices as, as ever. But uh, Alex Tudor was uh, speaking about Jimmy. Uh, it seems to be the uh, main point of conversation from a lot of the people trying to get in contact with us here on the the show. Um, This Test match, of course, will more than likely be the last Ashes Test, although we have been saying that for a while, for uh, England bowler Jimmy Anderson. Test 41 this weekend, of course, and uh, Alex Tudor has paid tribute to his career so far.
5: Mate, it's a testament to the bloke. I mean, I hurt every time he runs in. (laughs) He's 41. He's only, what, four or five years younger than me and what he's done I mean I was with Jimmy when he first burst onto the scene when he was on the academy in 2000 all those years ago and you always knew he was destined to greatness did you know that he was going to be this great I suppose no one ever knows that but he's evolved as the years have gone on and he's been absolutely fantastic he's been the figurehead for so many years he's carried on kept his body fit I mean he's as fit as now as he's ever been and I just feel that I will never ever talk Jimmy down absolutely love the bloke for me, I've, I've called him before. He's the English Malcolm Marshall. Malcolm Marshall, for me, was the greatest fast bowler of all time. Jimmy is definitely up there, and I've called him the English Malcolm Marshall. It's the biggest um, credit that I can give to him. Listen, I know he hasn't got the wickets that we've um, all hoped and wished for, but that's just cricket. And It's not like he's bowled bad. He's kept an end quiet. He's had a few drop catches, and that's just how it is. But I suppose we'll always speculate. Does he go to India? They're the questions that Ben Stokes and, and Baz McCullum are gonna to have to, with Rob Key, have to come together and decide. But I'm sure he wanna carry on. He's made it clear he wants to carry on, as you rightly said. Um, ben Stokes has come out and said he still wants him. And if he's able to still produce, why not? But as you said, we've got an abundance of riches waiting on. Josh Tong, I think he was unfortunate not to play here. It's a bit of oh. shame, choose. We've only seen one match of him in this Ashes because I think everyone was really impressed I thought people were leaving Laws saying he was our best bowler at Laws Josh Tong I thought he went really well yeah yeah and, and that was a talk and he's been very impressive you know he's bowling that 85 mile now he's got that height got that bounce and you're thinking yeah maybe he could have he could have um, he could have played but it's what do you do do you are going to t- tap Jimmy on the shoulder yeah yeah you tap Brody on the shoulder do you, I mean Brody's most probably been our best bowler in this series do you tap Jimmy on the shoulder, tell him, yeah, no, not today? It's, it's really difficult. It's hard. And uh, it's one of those ones. He's got to wait his turn. But when he comes, just do what he did when he played in that test match. And you've just got to show everyone what you can do. And hopefully it's your day. You can go and get wickets and you can have a you know, a five-year career, however long it is. Because he's, you know, he's not young, but he's still young enough to, to have a, a, a good and distinguished career. Um, and we'll just, have to, we'll just have to wait and see. But for me, it's something that they're going to assess because obviously they're always looking forward, right? So it's, do you have Jimmy now? He's not going to go to where, where are the tours is it um We go India after this don't we We, we go India what's after India Sam so you have to tours away from yeah, home, tours India away. and then back end of the year is New Zealand He might like New Zealand <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. so they might say right Jimmy maybe not India and they may go New Zealand or they might go India he'll get some rest Wait, it's five is it five yeah. test matches so it's going to be back to back in it so it's going to be difficult so they might not go India but New Zealand with the wickets and dropping wickets I think a little bit of Jimmy will still be going does he get to 700 yeah, yes please
2: so come and then, uh, Harmy. Who else is here today? Who are you catching up with? Uh, who, I've seen you, Monty. who are you avoiding?
3: Yeah, Monty was there. Goffy, Goffey was on top form as usual. Uh, Tufnel, Vaughan and McGrath did the the lunchtime fill at the green room. Me and Goffey did tea time. Um, it was a nice day, really nice day. Lee Westwood, um, Johnny Herbert. It was just a. It was a nice afternoon. It really was, and it was. I think it was buoyed by the cricket because we have seen some some decent cricket. This series has been great because the ball has dominated the bat for large parts of it, um, and that always makes for for entertaining cricket. And Tudes, you're know, talking he's talking spot on about about Jimmy. You, know, you can't talk him down because he's of what he's done for the game. Um, and but I always come back to the same saying. You know, you're always a better player when you're not playing. Ben Fokes has had that so far this summer. Josh Tongue's having that at the minute when England are struggling to get wickets. What I'll always say about the bowling side of it is we've tried young bowlers. We've tried people who have got so much talent, but they've never stayed fit enough fit enough for long enough for either one their bodies weren't good enough, their lifestyles weren't good enough in one or two in one or two people. And the reason why Broughton and Anderson, we always go back to them, because they are still the very best at keeping themselves in a position where they're always consistently up for selection. So I'm I'm happy to say Josh Tunk, I'd love to have played him. But what's to say he'd have gotten injured and, and, and then you go back to Broad, you go back to Anderson. So I think you've always got to be careful when you're selecting sides. I would, you, know, you would, you would love Josh to play. Um, and Matudes is right, he might have to wait his turn. Like I said earlier on in the show, it might take for us to make a tough decision on both Broad and Anderson that we don't, we can't go back to them because they're not there anymore. And then we have to find a solution to where we go and go forward because that's the nature of where England's cricket has been over the course of the last three or four years. John, we were sitting in in the West Indies. You mentioned Sam Curran earlier. Ed Smith tried to get rid of Stuart Broad, tried to get rid of Jimmy Anderson. And we are three, four years down the line and we're still saying... Still trying to get rid of them. Still trying to get rid of them. (laughs) But the reason why we're picking them is because they're consistently... There for selection. Not not everybody's like that. So you can go on names, exciting talent, huge prospects, but they don't put runs of games together. You know, Ollie Stone injured again. Josh Archer injured again. Mark Wood, how long is he going to put this little run together? Matt Fisher came with a whirlwind in you know, hasn't put a consistent run together. Saj- Saki Mahmoud injured again. All this comes with Rand back in a circle. Like what I'm talking about, Broad and Anderson will always put themselves up for selection.
2: Okay, talking about tough decisions. Only 79 overs again today. What Harrison. does the game have to do? I know that Morinelli probably would have bowled a couple of quickens, but even still, 83 overs maybe if he had been bowled. Maybe that's pushing it.
3: What what do we need to do? ICC have got to chuff the umpires on. It's the umpires that drive the game. You umpires have got to drive the game forward. Make sure they're in a position. Make sure the fielders are in position. make sure they're hurrying the bat, the batters up. make sure they're the ones that, that drive the game. I know t v and you you've got ad bricks and you've got all the stuff. Stop people coming on with 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 sort of drinks and gloves and everything that goes with that. but eighty overs in a deer. less than eighty overs in a deer is criminal. people are paying a lot of money and an absolute fortune. I'm gonna sound like an old man here, but well, I am an old man, but it's just not good enough. A lot of talk in that last test match about going to the sixth day. You've just got to make sure you bowl the overs. And Joe Root, did he have a point when he said, well, if you we play at late o'clock, we play at late o'clock. That might be one solution. You've tried to hit them in the pocket. That doesn't work. I think it's got to come from the umpires. The umpires have got to drive the fact that they've got 30 seconds in between each, each over. They get in a position, and once they're in a position, the bowl has got to be ready to bowl. The batter's got to be ready to bat. And you get on with the game. Well,
2: you know, we've been talking about it long enough. Uh, Okay, so looking ahead to tomorrow, what do England do? Because there is uh, every chance that this pitch would have eased out a little bit tomorrow. Conditions overhead should still be pretty bad or good if you're a fast bowler, Hmm. but no mowing alley. Um, and of course, you know these bowlers have bowled a lot of overs in the last six weeks. This is not ideal timing to be a man down. But of course, they have got, gone in with the extra extra bowler because uh, Stokes can't bowl. So how, how does England go about things for the first uh, first hour or so? I
3: think they've got to try and attack and get wickets. I think that's that would be the big the big thing. I think they've got to bowl that little bit fuller length. They've got to risk that they're going to get driven. They've got to risk potentially going to the boundary to try and pick up early wickets. I don't think this is a, a, a easy wicket to start on. So if you get a wicket, then you crowd about batter, bang, bang, could be the way to go. Um, and then if there's a partnership builds, you can see Jimmy Bowling, Jimmy Anderson Bowling, a longer spell. Because Jimmy has this great way of attacking and being attacking and defensive at the same time because he's meticulous with these lines and lengths that he, he attacks outside off-stump, but he doesn't go for too many runs and I think building pressure up from that end like that will maybe make a false shot then all of a sudden you can attack from both ends and make sure that if we do get an in an in, we capitalise because we haven't got a huge amount of runs to play with and that for me would be the first hour go hard go early and try and get wickets and then in the second hour if that hasn't worked then you can go to a little bit more defensive.
2: Can you see Australia batting at Stumps tomorrow?
3: If they are, that's it. I think that would be more or less game over. I think they would be, they'd be ahead of England by, what, 40 or 50 runs. Um, and with Mo and Ali not being able to bat and not being able to bowl, England effectively with 10 men. I, I think if they take a big enough lead into that, because their bowlers are more suited for this surface than our bowlers, because our bowlers are not quite as quick and kiss the surface where two of their bowlers who have been very effective have, um, have hit the surface and getting something out of the wicket. And they've got a 90-mile-an-hour bowler like Mitchell Stark who can blow the tail away. OK, good stuff.
2: we'll be back here 7 until 8 tomorrow uh, evening on Talk Sport. You'll be back in the green room with Goffey and your old mates uh, for much of the day. And we'll both be watching and hoping that uh, this Ashes series can continue, that England are batting, hopefully by T. But uh, thanks for listening to Following On, Ashes Inquest.